0: In the last two years, surveys of physicians show a widespread consensus that clostridium difficile infections are becoming more common. What can be done to stop this emerging threat? You are listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. Today our guest is Dr. L. Clifford McDonald, a medical epidemiologist in the Epidemiology and Laboratory Branch, Division of Health Quality Promotion at the Centers for Disease Control. He has investigated Clostridium difficile outbreaks and written extensively on the subject. Welcome, Dr. McDonald. Thank you. Well, what are the current trends with C. diff infections?
1: Well, we don't have a national surveillance system specifically designed for C. diff seal, but we do have several markers uh, that are pretty reliable indicating that there's been a marked increase in both the uh, rates of C. diff seal nationally and the indication that the severity is is increasing nationally as well. Hospital discharge data, for example, from across the U.S. shows at least a doubling, if not almost tripling now, in the number of hospital discharges coded with C. difficile. There is a specific ICD-9 code for the condition that's been around since the early 90s, and it really started to increase just in the year 2001. There was like a 45% jump, and then both the number and rate of discharges coded with C. difficile from 2000 to 2001, and it's increased uh, each year since then, so that it's coming up to almost a tripling. I don't think we're quite there yet, but in 05, at least from one sampling of hospital discharges, it suggested there was just over 250,000 Uh, hospitalizations in acute care hospitals in the U.S. uh, where C. difficile was listed as a discharge diagnosis. That's a pretty large number. A quarter of a million cases. Yeah, I can say a quarter of a million hospitalizations affected by it, which, yeah, it's pretty close to cases. There's actually another sleeping giant there that isn't even detected in that, and that is from some data in Ohio, in Ohio they um, did statewide mandatory reporting of C. difficile cases, both from acute care hospitals and from nursing homes, long-term care facilities. And what we learned there is that, relative to acute care hospitals, just as many, if not a few more, infections occur with onset in a long-term care facility. Now we don't know if some of those don't get admitted then to acute care facility and get counted in that 250 or so thousand acute care hospitalizations, but it's likely a lot of them don't get admitted also and they're cared for over the long-term care facilities. So uh, that just suggests that there may be as many as twice as many of that when you add up all the long-term care facility cases too. So it's just a staggering number.
0: But it seems to me that a lot of people become symptomatic after they leave the hospital, so that wouldn't even be in your statistics.
1: That's right. We're finding in some preliminary studies that we've done, sort of retrospective, trying to count all the cases in a geographic area, that about 20% or so are soon after leaving the hospital. And then there's about another 25% 25% or though and then another 20 to 25% that occur with no recent inpatient healthcare exposure certainly at least 20 or 25% are, are occurring soon after leaving the hospital
0: now of course uh, there's a trend that the statistics are going up but are we better at recognizing it or does the CDC feel that the increase actually represents real Disease, as opposed to improved diagnosis,
1: we feel like it's it's real disease. There was a couple ways we looked into this. For some of that hospital discharge data, we also looked for other causes of diarrhea. We thought, well, if we were just diagnosing it better, we'd see a drop in some of the other non-specific diarrheal cases. We did not see that; those were steady. There was no real great improvement in the diagnostics that were being used. We know from some surveys that over 90% of hospital labs and labs in general are using enzyme immunoassays. It's true that in the late 90s, they started to shift from uh, toxin A only assays to toxin A and B assays. That was due to some well-publicized cases that were toxin A negative and, and B positive and not detected with the A only assays. Uh, and we know that that probably increased sensitivity a little, but probably only by 5% at most. So, uh, and, and since then, we've just seen a continued increase. And a lot of that increase was occurring even before anyone was publicly aware before any of the no, uh, well-known outbreaks. That was in 2001, 2002, 2003. And the outbreaks didn't really become well-known like the outbreaks from Quebec until 2004.
0: What is the uh, thought about the biology for this increase? What's changed? We
1: don't know all that is responsible for this, but one issue is emergence of a more virulent strain of C. difficile. This strain was actually, we know now, it's been around for the last last 20 or 30 years, but just became uh, an epidemic strain just in the year 2000, 2001, as far as we know. first outbreak that we can trace this to was in Pittsburgh, and then later outbreaks in other parts of the country, in Quebec, Canada, all the same strain. A strain, like I said, that's been around before, but previously uncommon, now it's become epidemic. One thing that happened to it with it becoming epidemic is it became more resistant to uh, the fluoroquinolone class of antibiotics, and uh, we think that that might have been an important survival advantage for this strain over other strains because fluoroquinolones are so widely used, and certainly a lot of outbreaks have been associated with fluoroquinolone use. This strain, though, also, in addition to its newly acquired higher levels of resistance to fluoroquinolones, has always had some uh, particularly uh, unique virulence properties. For one thing, it produces more toxins A and B, like on the order of uh, 16 to 23-fold more toxin A and B, respectively. Uh, It also carries an extra toxin that we don't really know the exact role of this toxin, but it is an additional toxin in addition to toxins A and B that's known as binary toxin. Uh, It's not clear if it has an independent uh, activity apart from toxin AB, but maybe it does work in in concert uh, with those other toxins. So it's a more virulent strain. And then we know that now, actually, a lot of people call it a hypervirulent strain. We know that people who get sick with this strain... Uh, on the whole, will have more severe disease than others.
0: How can hospitals effectively reduce the incidence of C. diff among their patients?
1: Well, there's two major forces uh, to contend with, the epidemiologic forces that drive C. diff seal. One is the transmission of the organism, and especially in healthcare facilities where other patients with active disease serve as the source uh, for transmission. Uh, so containing those patients uh, through early recognition, putting those patients into isolation, uh, practicing good barrier precautions, including hand hygiene uh, or the use of gloves and gowns, uh, to try to prevent uh, carrying the organism from one patient room to another. That is all uh, as an effort to uh, con- to contain transmission. Another big part of that is don't use the blood pressure cuff and stethoscope on another patient w- when you've used it on a C. diff seal patient without first cleaning it in some way. Can I, I'd like to interrupt
0: you uh, there because that raises a really big question. A lot of uh, clinicians use alcohol to swab off stethoscopes between patients. And actually, this is a relatively new phenomenon. Uh, This is something that 20 years ago, I'm sure nobody thought about. If memory serves uh, C. diff, particularly the spores, it enjoys alcohol, considers it a bath. So how do you clean uh, a stethoscope and even a blood pressure cuff?
1: Yeah, well, I think that, you know, maybe we need to think more seriously about dedicated stethoscopes, period, across the hospital. But certainly in in known C. diff patient rooms, they should have dedicated
0: stethoscopes. Which antibiotics are the worst culprits? I I can recall a day where C. diff was thought to only occur with clindamycin use, and we weren't too worried about other antibiotics, but I gather that that's changed.
1: Uh, well, yeah, you're right. I mean, any antibiotic can cause uh, C. diff seal, and... clindamycin, though, is historically associated. In fact, it has one of the more major warnings in its label. But um, probably a lot of that was also certain strains developing high levels of resistance to the clindamycin. Not all C. difficile strains have equal levels of resistance, even to clindamycin. They're all relatively resistant, but some with much higher levels. And and those that are much more resistant uh, probably are much more likely to be caused by clindamycin use. Uh, but it's virtually every antibiotic. If you look through the history of C. difficile, you find in different eras uh, the cases that were associated with it in the literature uh, were the antibiotics that were associated with it in the literature were the antibiotics that were being used most commonly at the time. So in the late 70s, early 80s, it was the extended penicillins and then the cephalosporins, and it continued with the cephalosporins until this decade uh, in late 1990s when the fluoroquinolones are are more and more associated. And, of course, now we do have this strain or strains that are highly uh, fluoroquinolone-resistant.
0: Can it occur after only one dose of IV antibiotic?
1: Yes, unfortunately, it can. Um, it, there is something, though, still about trying to get people off antibiotics as soon as possible. There is evidence to suggest it's duration. And even the intensity of antibiotic use, putting people on more than one antibiotic, and probably more broad-spectrum antibiotics are probably riskier, but even one dose can do it. So, there is somewhat of a dose-response
0: curve in terms of the risk.
1: There is. there is. In fact, uh, one interesting study they did, um, it was back in the early 80s, with surgical antibiotic prophylaxis, put them into three different groups. Uh, One where they didn't give any antibiotic prophylaxis, I think it was a low-risk procedure they were doing, Uh, and then the other two used two different antibiotics. Uh, and showed that there was a high rate. Actually, no C. diff occurred in any of these uh, 100 or so patients, but C. diff colonization was found in those that had even one antibiotic dose. So antibiotics are a risk factor for colonization as well as as, uh, disease.
0: I want to thank Dr. L. Clifford McDonald from the CDC who has been our guest. We've been discussing the epidemiology of Clostridium difficile. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We would really like to hear from you. For comments and questions about this program or suggestions for other shows, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Also, please visit us at reachmd.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Be safe. Be informed. Thank you for listening.